0: Thank you for listening to another Sunday morning message from City Church in downtown Iowa City. Some of you guys know that we're in the middle of the Lenten season. How many of you guys are kind of familiar with Lent? Yeah. Um, And it's this period, if you don't know, it's a period on the traditional church calendar that leads up to Easter. And it's typically this time where Christians practice some kind of like... Self denial, or they fast from something as a way of turning their attention more on God and the work of God in their lives, and as a way to be more fully engaged with um, that work and the significance of Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering the power of death. So, in light of Lent, we've been talking the past few weeks about desolate places in our lives and wilderness places in our lives because Lent is this 40-day period modeled on Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness in a desolate place. And for us, um, for those of, for many of us in this room, the wilderness in the Bible is a metaphor um, for seasons where we may feel alone or we may feel lacking or deprived, whether we choose it because we think it's good to fast and we embrace those kinds of journeys and uh, we think it'll be good for our spiritual growth, or whether because we're forced into it by circumstances in our lives. And the wilderness just really represents those times in our lives where we um, choose faithfulness to God in the midst of suffering. We choose faithfulness to God in the midst of lack or deprivation or, um, you know, just as Jesus uh, chose faithfulness to God in the desert, in the wilderness, when when the devil was tempting him. And this morning, I want to talk about our faithfulness in the wilderness when it comes to one specific thing, and that is in regard to when people wrong us. When people hurt us and we are in the wilderness, when people do things to us that are unjust or unfair, and it doesn't matter how old you are here, how young you are, what gender you are, what race you are, each of us in this room have been wronged. By somebody else. We've been treated unfairly by somebody else um, that we expected better from or hoped for better from. And, you know, we've all experienced wounding from bosses and coworkers and family members and best friends, you know, and employees. And some of those woundings have been hard to recover from. Some of us might say, it changed our lives and the trajectory of our lives for years, or it changed the trajectory of our lives for for months, or it had a ripple effect in my relationships. Uh, The pain of someone wronging us can really push us into that kind of wilderness, can't it? Um, One in which the person maybe hasn't been caught, or they haven't repented, or they haven't seen the light, they haven't made it up to us, they haven't asked for our forgiveness. It's a wilderness where we might feel deprived of relational justice or social justice. We, maybe we've lost face with others or we've lost privileges or status or damage to our reputation because of things people have done, and we're longing for equity, right? We're longing for fairness in the wilderness. Uh, and in the wilderness where we're trying to be faithful to God, and yet we're suffering from those wrongs done to us, where we yearn for God to intervene, faithfulness to God actually looks like forgiveness, and walking out forgiveness in the wilderness um, when the other party is not even interested in making things right and not even restoring things. Um, In general, you know, forgiveness is our refusal to seek payback or to seek vengeance. It's saying, I acknowledge the wrongs that were done to me. They're real. And I'm going to let that person off my hook and put them on God's hook. Like, I'm going to give up my right, to be judge and jury over them and allow God to be judge and jury. And maybe a criminal court, maybe a civil court, you know, that's a way that God establishes justice in the world. Um, But meanwhile, I am not going to seek vengeance, and I'm not going to seek their destruction, right? I'm not going to trash talk or degrade them in any way to hurt them, I'm not going to retaliate with that destructive impulse that I might have. I'm actually going to sit with this pain in the wilderness and do that thing that Jesus said we should do, bless our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, I think forgiveness is not always a wilderness experience. There are people in my life who I know love me, and they hurt me sometimes. And they show me that they want to restore a relationship, and they're, they're quick to repent and own their sin and their part. But wilderness forgiveness really is that kind of faithfulness where we practice that toward God in our faithfulness to Him when those other people are not willing to do that part. Uh, so... Christ called his disciples to that kind of forgiveness, but um, he also suggested that we would be in a worse headspace and heart space if we didn't forgive. So there would be something worse than wilderness if we didn't forgive. And so I want us to look at kind of a pretty intense passage of scripture this morning from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Um, in Matthew, Jesus had been talking to his disciples about what to do when your brother sins against you. And you could substitute brother for like, you know, sister, mother, coworker, elected official if you wanted. Um, but, but then after, after Jesus is teaching about how to go to that person and confront them about their sin or the way that they feel wronged, Peter, thinking he should clarify how this process works, and what his responsibility was in order to be more Christ-like, he goes to Jesus and he says in verse 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And I think Peter's like, I just want to get this right, Jesus. like... I want to make sure I'm going the extra mile here. Seven was the number of perfection to the, to the um, Jewish uh, knowers of Scripture and Jewish audiences. So maybe Peter's like, should I be perfect in my forgiveness? You know, should I just do this really well? Maybe thinking this was going to impress Jesus. I don't know. Um, but then Jesus replies in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. So if anyone's quick with multiplication, that would be 490, 70 times 7. And I'm guessing that Jesus did not expect Peter to keep a literal account of how many times he forgave each person in his life. Just in the way, I don't think Jesus expected us to cut off our hands if they caused us to sin, but is maybe trying to get Peter to understand that, Peter, perfect forgiveness is when you keep on forgiving. Perfect forgiveness is when it doesn't matter how many times you do it, you just keep doing it. One commentator said, the most perfect kind is boundlessly infinite and countlessly repeated forgiveness. And that's what Jesus is getting at. And then Jesus offers this parable that makes it sound like there is a whole lot more at stake than Peter and the disciples probably realize when it comes to forgiveness forgiveness. Uh, And apparently there's something they really need to know about it as it relates to God's kingdom. And he launches into this story in verses 23 through 35. And I'm going to read that here, and you guys can follow along up here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, This is a very intense parable, but it's not confusing, actually. Um, A lot of Jesus' parables are confusing, and his disciples follow up, and they're like, what exactly did that mean? What was the seed about? You know, this is not that confusing to the Jewish audience or for us even. If the kingdom of heaven is like a kingdom with the king in it, then the king in this one is parallel to God, and his audience would have understood that. And in the first scene, we see this king wanting to settle his accounts. Now, settling accounts is a common metaphor for judgment in in the language here. And a lot of the language of this parable operates linguistically in such a way as to indicate both monetary debt and sin debt. And monetary forgiveness and sin forgiveness. So there's this easy exchange in the original language. So this king is settling accounts, as God might be pictured, settling accounts with a sinner. And in any settling of accounts, there's the very important step of establishing how much is owed, right? Like what the debt is. Like, I wanna be really clear on that with the credit union when it comes to a car loan. They wanna be very clear on that as well. And in this case, the first slave in the parable owes an astronomical amount of money. Like, 10,000 talents probably doesn't mean much to most of us in this room, um, but it's the equivalent of 150,000 years worth of wages at, like, minimum wage, 150,000 years worth of wages. So how did someone get into such debt? We don't really know. That's also not the point of the story. But um, those listening might think, well, this might be a very, like, privileged slave. You know, maybe it was a dignitary or it was, you know, a head tax collector who served a king. Also in their minds might be the question of, how did such a person who, how was such a person rich enough to even acquire that much debt? You know, like, how did they even have collateral to put up for that much debt? So maybe, you know, maybe they're thinking, gosh, maybe he swindled people, maybe he extorted money, but um, he was rich enough to have collateral for this debt. We don't know. Again, it's not the point. The point is really to shock us at the number, At the huge amount of debt owed, that for us could only be expressed in millions and billions of dollars. Okay, so the king wants his money. The slave can't repay; it's more than he could hope to ever repay on his own. And the king consigns him to being sold along with his family and his stuff, so that at least the king could get some money. Right? It wouldn't be worthwhile, probably, or very much in comparison to the debt. It would be something. And the slave he falls on his knees, he begs for mercy. And then shockingly, the king forgives him the entire debt. I mean, he doesn't even do what what we would find more reasonable, which would be to reduce the debt to something that's more realistic to pay back. He doesn't do that. He just says, yep, yeah, I will. I'll forgive it all. And those hearing the story at this point would be shocked, as should we, as we're reading this story. Because Forgiveness of this kind was really unheard of in the world they lived in. In this Roman-dominated world, for sure it was not uncommon for people to be sold to pay their debts or put in prison to pay their debts. It happened all the time. So while Jesus's audience is probably marveling at this story of scandalous forgiveness, he goes on to scene two of the story where this relieved and forgiven slave goes looking for another slave or he encounters another slave who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, so please understand 100 denarii is one 600,000th of the amount the original slave owed. One 600,000th. This much compared to this much. Okay. And so he finds him chokes him until the slave falls on his knees and pleads for forgiveness the same way that the first slave did. Now, we should be shocked at this point. If our, our sensibilities are, uh, like, we should be shocked, first of all, by the king's mercy of the radical uh, forgiveness of the debt. And then second, we're shocked that this slave who was shown such scandalous mercy and forgiveness is being so unforgiving toward this other slave that that owed him barely anything. It's scandalous, really, to our ears. And yet, I'm sure as we read this, we can relate to a cry for mercy. If we've ever wounded somebody, we've wanted to restore relationship. We've asked for forgiveness. Or, or maybe we've just wanted to be right with God and know that God sees our past, and yet he forgives us. And he doesn't hold it against us, that we can come and be, um, we can be in relationship with him without that judgment on us when we ask for his forgiveness. So we crave mercy as human beings, but then at the same time, we're such multi-dimensional people that we crave mercy for ourselves, and we also crave revenge, right, on other people for the wrongs, that they've done to us as demonstrated by the slave and i don't know about you guys um but i can relate to that almost crazy response of like oh i just want you to pay me back you know and i've never choked anyone but but i can relate to that emotion of like oh i just i want to bring you to the point that you will repent and you will pay back this debt and that is an impulse in us i think it's a we want to satisfy our sense of justice. You know, we want to do that. And that's what's going on here. You know, the first slave then consigns the second slave to debtor's prison, which, again, was common at the time. And the idea was, you know, if he sends him to debtor's prison, then maybe his relatives will cough up the money, right, and pay the debt. Of course, the king hears about it, and he's furious. And he's, he's shocked that the first slave could be so unmerciful. And he places that slave in debtor's prison as well. And then Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And this is where we learn about forgiveness, that forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven, forgiveness from the king is actually not unconditional. But it actually doesn't have the kinds of conditions that we would probably think Forgiveness should have. In other words, forgiveness from the king is not dependent on the size of your debt, it's not dependent on the sin that you sinned, or how many people you hurt, or the social implications of your sin, or whether you took the life of someone or stole office supplies. Forgiveness from the king doesn't depend on any of that, it's dependent only on our willingness to emulate and imitate him in the forgiveness of others. And then there's also this very troubling detail at the end of the parable about the king sending the indebted slave to prison where the Greek language actually spells out much clearer that he was handed over not to jailers, but to tormentors, to torturers. And it's this very disturbing metaphor, and we should be troubled when we hear that. Um, But it's really meant to shock us and to shock Jesus' audience into understanding how seriously God takes forgiveness and that he is willing for us to be miserable and for us to feel tormented by our unforgiveness until we forgive. Oprah even had an aha moment. I like what she said about unforgiveness. She said, forgiveness is letting go so that the past does not hold you prisoner. And how many of you guys know that our past hurts and wounds that have been caused, if we don't forgive, we can be imprisoned to those things. Um, I've known a lot of people who are imprisoned by offenses, where 20 years down the road, like if a name comes up, they are spewing toxicity like that. Um, they, they are quick to recite and rehearse and say all the things that uh, people did wrong and and you can tell there's like a hyper focus. Has anybody been around people like that? You guys know what I'm talking about, where there's just almost this fountain of bitterness that, that you can um, experience when you're around them. And honestly, it's not very fun to be around that and to be listening to that. But it's almost like those people are locked in to rehearsing over and over and over the wrongs done to them and, and not able to get peace, really, not able to find resolve on the other side of it. And truthfully, that is a torment. That is a kind of internal misery and prison that I think Jesus is talking about here. Um, many, many years ago, there were some church leaders who did not treat me and Mark very well. Not going to go into the details, but their behavior was really devastating to us, And for a lot of reasons, just had a really big practical impact on our lives. And even though eventually we, we kind of moved on from relationship with them um, and weren't really part of their lives anymore, I thought about them a lot for a very long time. And I rehashed and I rehearsed everything that had happened and what they'd done and what I said to try to fix it and experienced a lot of anxiety, experienced a lot of depression for years actually. And one of the reasons that I think it lasted so long is that I was still confused and hurt by the behavior um, because their behavior made me feel part of the wounding was there's something wrong with me. If they would do that to me, I must not be okay. Like that was the lie I was believing in the messaging. So I was constantly trying to like validate my case against them so I could feel okay. And just know that, like, yes, what they did was really wrong, and you didn't do the wrong thing, Heather, it's okay. <clears throat> but I was constantly in this cycle in my head about it, and it was constantly before me, and it was a torment, really, that I was experiencing. And I finally got to this place where I realized, like, I have got to settle this account. You know, like, Whether it's perceived hurt, whether it's real and it was really wrong, whether anybody validates or agrees with my story, this devastated me. This hurt me, and I have got to get past the stage. I've got to name their sin. I've got to name what they owe me, and I've got to be clear about the debt so that I can actually forgive it. Because you can't forgive something if you don't know what you're forgiving, right? So I was stuck not knowing what I needed to forgive and not able to name it, and finally just realized that was the only way out of it. I had to just say, like, this is what I experienced, and it it is a debt that they've incurred. And then something just tremendously shifted in me when I was able to do that and just prayed a prayer of forgiveness toward them. And it didn't matter anymore that I prove whether they had done something wrong, prove to myself or have the close people in my life agree with me, Um, which they mostly did anyway, but it was just this thing in my head. Um, What mattered is that I owned how much it wounded me, and I was able to name it and forgive them for that, and that got me out of the cycle of torment that I was in, and it was soon after that that these leaders left the church that we'd all been a part of and were on their own, and they were going through crisis. They were going through something really hard in their lives, and they had never acknowledged their wrongdoing to us. They um, had just sort of just left things as they were. Um, but my, our paths just started intersecting with theirs again. Um, and I felt like I had enough grace to just be kind to them and encourage them and, you know, have a few play dates with their kids. And I knew that we weren't restored. I knew that, you know, like to do that, they would really have to repent and acknowledge they were wrong. But I didn't feel anxiety anymore over what had done to me I didn't feel that torment and I actually felt free to just love them where they were at and know you know what you guys are really broken you know and I'm I forgive you and I'm just gonna bless you in this place um and I do really believe that God allows us to be uncomfortable to be miserable to be tormented honestly uh when we hold unforgiveness, when we hold bitterness in our hearts, because I think that misery really has the power to move us from point A to point B. And I think God wants us, I know God wants us, to move us from that point A of bitterness and unforgiveness to point B of forgiveness, because God knows that he is going to appropriate justice and mercy way better than we ever can. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman Christians in Romans 12, He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God alone reserves the right for vengeance. And I will tell you, we know this from Scripture, that through Christ, God's line of action is actually to overcome evil with good. That's his first line of action. It's going to be to invite repentance and to offer mercy and forgiveness. And as recipients of his forgiveness and his grace, he commands us not to be stingy with the mercy and grace we receive from him as well and the forgiveness of our own debts. So... Back to our theme of the wilderness, faithfulness to God in the wilderness requires us not to do this little like Iowa nice thing that we might do to ourselves or like Midwest nice thing where we're like, it's fine, it's fine, whatever. You know, like, blah, you know, and I'm just not gonna talk to that person. I'm gonna say snippy things behind their back, you know, or to not just tell ourselves like, well, well, you know, I love Jesus, so I'm gonna be a good Christian and you know, it's just fine and I forgive them and I'm not even gonna talk about what they did because that doesn't name the debt either. That doesn't name the sin either, right? So wilderness forgiveness requires us to name the sin, to actually assess the million dollar damages, you know, or the hundred dollar damages. As C.S. Lewis puts it, seeing it in all its horror, dirt, meanness, and malice. And then we choose to release that person over to God and we release our right to judgment to God. And so I know I've been preaching uh, some things. As I've been preaching, some things are coming to your mind, probably right now, because we can't have this many people in a room and have no one have a current wound (laughs) from someone, right? I, I know that some things are coming to mind about people, probably some names or some faces or some situations where you have been wounded by people in your life. It could be a leader, it could be a friend, it could be somebody in your family, and it could be something that's ongoing like an ongoing pattern of sin against you. Maybe it's somebody who just doesn't get it or they just don't care. Or, um, you know, maybe you've tried to reconcile and you've done all the right things as far as you can see, and it still hurts and it's still not better. And I really want us to have the opportunity this morning to appropriate wilderness forgiveness in this room so that you can go out of here not carrying the same thing that you came in with and um, where you can say this morning, you know what? I want to be faithful to Jesus in the wilderness of this pain that I feel. I want to be free from this torment of holding on to unforgiveness and holding on to my harsh judgment against them. And so I want to give us all the opportunity to pray this morning. And I actually have a slide um, that I'll talk through, and it's it's a real simple prayer. You can riff on it. You can make it your own. But it's some, this is something like what I pray a lot of times when I'm forgiving people and I'm working through forgiveness. Um, and, and it sounds a lot like, Lord, I forgive those leaders for what they did to us and for the hurt that that caused and for the fact that we had to leave the church because of it and we lost our friends in that season and 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 just you could go on and you can name the impact of the sin and the consequences of the sin and then and then you can pray something like I accept the loss of their actions I accept that loss and I hand them over Lord for your judgment and your mercy and then I ask that in your goodness You restore to me all that's been lost and broken because of this debt. That is a big deal. I think that prayer is really important because we are left with a loss, aren't we, in the wilderness? We are left with pain. And to say, God, will you work this for my good now? Will you do something good? Restore what's been taken. And then in my own life, if you've been hanging on to bitterness and you have just been like spewing evil toward people— then I renounce bitterness and I renounce resentment and unforgiveness in my life. Please forgive me for that. And I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. So I wanna give us a chance to, to go through this and pray this together, and you can just whisper under your breath, um, but let's let's say the parts that are written out together, and then I'll give a little space. For you to whisper, for you to talk to God, if there's somebody that's come. And Mark, if you don't mind, if you would play in the background, that would be great. All right. Lord, oh, let's go back to the beginning. Lord, I forgive. Now you just name the person or the people or the institution that comes to mind. I forgive them for. Go ahead and just take 30 seconds or more. You might have to do more of this at home, but I forgive them for. And list those things, name those things to God. The, The debt that's been incurred. we'll move on to the next part. I accept the loss of their actions. I hand them over to you, Lord. Well, I think you don't have that on there. Yes, to your judgment and your mercy. I ask that in your goodness, you restore all that has been lost or broken because of their debt. And in my own life, I renounce bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. Please forgive me. I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name.